everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. This morning, we are blessed to have Dr. Tony Chase bring the word today. Uh, I just want to brag on him. I didn't do this last time, and I was like, man, I'm, I'm meant to do this. So I wanted to go on, go on up here. Go on up here. Can we give him a hand, Dr. Tony? So um, this, this, this brother, he is, he is a friend. He is a lover of Jesus. He is a studier of the scripture. Uh, he is also a professor over at IUPUI, so we're thankful for what God is doing at IUPUI. Uh, but one of the things that, that when I first uh, met Dr. Tony, we went out uh, to lunch to break bread, as we like to do. Um, we were just, I could hear just the questions that he was asking, that the word had a high value in his heart. And it was really important to him that we were anchored in truth and that we were defined by the truth and not trying to define the truth truth ourselves. And so I just want to let you know, please, whenever we come, whether it's me, whether it's Dr. Tony, whether it's Kelly, whoever's speaking, I want to encourage you to bring your Bible, to bring something to write with and something to write on, because the word that is being shared is to help shape us, mold us, equip us so that we can be who God has called us to be. And I'm telling you, whatever he's going to speak today, you're not going to want to just hear it for 20, 30 minutes today. You're going to want to have it with you as we're going on and becoming who God's called us to be. So let us come with attentive ears and ready pens and receive the word from Dr. Tony. Give him a hand. Thanks. So when we got together for the first time to break bread, we actually broke barbecue ribs, which was even better. I feel like was, that's where most spiritual conversation should happen, right? Um, yes, absolutely. And so I want to I give you a challenge today um, when you are kind of taking notes. And um, uh, I know that uh, um, you may or may not be someone who does that. Um, and uh, if you are, or even if you aren't, I challenge you this, that you know, you can obviously write down whatever you want, whatever pieces of, my, of the message you feel are, are, um, resonate with your life. But, but I would challenge you this, that the Holy Spirit of God has something for you today. And so um, when you go to your city groups later, or maybe if you get coffee with a friend, or, or, or maybe you're on the car on the way home with your family or your spouse or other people, um, or you're talking to your roommates, um, I want you to reflect on the, what is it that the Holy Spirit of God, of the God who created and sustains the universe, had something for you today? And let that sink in. And, 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 and so as the message is going on, if there's something that you feel like, okay, this is what I need to take with me today, just be sensitive to that. Um, and so uh, we are in week two of our series called God in Hamilton, where we are um, working to um, unpack some of the spiritual um, truths and some of the corollaries that happen um, within the musical Hamilton, within um, even the historical narrative behind the musical and things like that. And I think that one of the important pieces, um, and Pastor John highlighted this last week, is that uh, when we watch TV, when we um, see things in movies, when we go to music,
musicals, when we hear things in music, um, don't let it just always just sit there, but, but, but see, is there something that God actually has in that? Is there some spiritual truths that you can pull out of that? And I'm telling you, especially if you have little ones around you, kids, nephews, nieces, things like that, um, don't let that moment pass, all right? There is, I think that God still has us in a culture where there's commercials on TV for a reason that we can kind of stop and say, now, now let's think about what we just saw and is there anything that we see about the culture that God might have to say about that? All right, so, so this is kind of part of the series, is that there's, there's this story in this musical, and within it, there are some spiritual truths. Um, and so to kind of begin, I was um, several years ago meeting with a friend of mine at a McDonald's, another place where much of our spiritual conversation happens, um, at 9 p.m., and we ended up meeting until about 2 in the morning. And we were talking about um, a lot of things involving faith. Um, he being an atheist, me being a Christian for about four or five years at the time. And so um, I obviously didn't have all the answers. And, and that often scares us, by the way, when we, when we sit down with somebody and we're, when they're, they're bringing up faith and you're like, okay, this is the moment. This is the moment that all the studying and everything, I'm ready to go with all. And, and you feel like, okay, I need to have all the answers. I need to know exactly. And, and listen, okay, where's my response? Where do, I, where do I come in with the jab? Like, no. Like, instead, I challenge you in those situations just to have a real conversation with people. And if you don't know the answers, that's fine. Yeah. You don't know the answers. And so one of the things that I didn't know the answer to that he brought up was that, you know, I, I hear so many people that talk about Christianity and they talk about when they become saved, all of a the sudden they kind of walk away from some sort of addiction or, or they kind of become more generous or they become more loving or they do more good in the world, those kind of things. But, but I can walk away from addiction with help of people around me. I can be generous with, with my money. I can do good in the world. I can, I can love people. And it have nothing to do with Jesus. So, so what really is it then? What, what is it that separates somebody for, who's a Christian that all of a sudden all these things are tied to Christianity? And, and as I thought about it later, you know, the question itself has some kind of inconsistencies in it because within that question is actually um, a bunch of things that, that kind of come out of Christianity is like um, of a life well lived is being generous and being loving and doing and then walking away from addictions and things. But, but even still, the, the, the underlying piece is what is it that separates the Christian from the non-Christian? Because are Christians more generous than non-Christians? Sometimes, sometimes not. Are Christians nicer than non-Christians? Sometimes. Sometimes you're in a parking lot and you're trying to get to church and they're not. <laughs> or, you're, or you're almost to the parking lot and then that person is turning into church and you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> I just cut them off. Never mind. I'm not going to get into it. And um, do Christians love better than non-Christians? Sometimes. Sometimes not. All right. But, but there are some things that do separate between the Christian and the non-Christian. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, why don't you open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be starting verse 1. 
But before we do that, um, as you turn there, um, I think one of the most fundamental pieces that is different from the Christian and the non-Christian is, is really ultimate purpose. And so um, theologian and preacher Jonathan Edwards would put it this way. He would say, God's purpose for my life was that I have a passion for God's glory and that I have a passion for my joy in that glory and that these two are one passion. So, so Jonathan Edwards would come right out of the gate and say, listen, you know, you want to talk about the difference between, between Christian and, and somebody who's saved and somebody who's not, somebody who follows Jesus and somebody who doesn't. Well, um, they're pursuing God's glory, pursuing their joy, and that's actually the same pursuit. And, and on the other side, oftentimes you're pursuing happiness or your glory. And we can sometimes fall into that, can't we? And, and so this was a, a profound truth by Jonathan Edwards. And so Jonathan Edwards' grandson was a guy by the name of Aaron Burr. And he is depicted in the musical Hamilton as asking this same exact question. He asks within the song called Wait For It, he asks about how life and death and love don't seem to discriminate between sinner and saint. We all kind of encounter them regardless. And so, so if there's a reason for all of these things, and I'm not seeing it because, because I see the sinners and the saints go through these exact same things. And so, so what is it about, about following Jesus that's actually different? And so we're going to dive into that in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 1 says this. A person should think of us in this way, as servants of Christ and managers of the mysteries of God. In this regard, it is required that managers be found faithful. So um, I'm going to stop right here real quick. The, um, you might have um, stewards or servants, depending on the translation. I, I like managers there um, in the CSV because I think that... Um, that's really probably the closest word as far as translation goes to what, to what was going on in the first century. Um, this word was used often for somebody who has been elevated to like, um, think of somebody who manages a store that they don't own, that they, they've been given charge of everything there, but it's not theirs. But they're, they're in charge of stewarding it and managing all of these resources. And so that's what we've been given as followers of Jesus is we've been given all of these, um, all of these mysteries of God, all of these facts about God, all of these things that God's doing in our lives, all of the actual possessions that God gives us, the money that God gives us, the time on earth that God gives us, the families that God gives us, and yet we're just stewards of them. We don't own a single one. And so um, Paul continues in verse 3. It is of little importance to me that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I am not conscious of anything against myself, but I am not justified by this. It is the Lord who judges me. So don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the heart. And then praise will come to each one from God. So Paul here is saying that ultimately it doesn't matter what other people are thinking of you or even what you think of yourself, but rather that God is glorified 
and that he is the ultimate purpose in our lives. And so I know that that kind of sounds um, kind of strange. It kind of goes against what we've been taught, right? So, so a lot of what we hear all the time is that you need to think that you're awesome. You just need to continue thinking about how awesome you are because that's what's going to make you feel better. That's what's going to boost your self-esteem. That's what's going to boost your self-worth. And you keep thinking that you're awesome. Everything will just get better. And even when you mess up, you ignore it and just keep thinking you're awesome. And that's going to change things. All right. But, but this scripture is actually saying not only does it ma- not matter what they think of you, it actually doesn't matter what you think of you. What matters is what God says about you. So Tim Keller um, will, in his commentary about this, in a book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, he describes it this way. He says, people sometimes say their feelings are hurt, but our feelings can't be hurt. It is the ego that hurts, my sense of self, my identity. Our feelings are fine. It is my ego that hurts. Walking around does not hurt my toes unless there's something already wrong with them. My ego would not hurt unless there was something terribly wrong with it. Think about it. It is very hard to get through a whole day without feeling snubbed or ignored or feeling stupid or getting down on ourselves. That is because there's something wrong with my ego. There's something wrong with my identity. There's something wrong with my sense of self. It's never happy. It is always drawing attention to itself. And so our ego and our identity being placed in things, that's where we get our feelings hurt. It's like this. If somebody says something negative about you or you get some constructive criticism, I always love constructive criticism because I always feel completely deconstructed when I get it. (laughs) That when we get constructive criticism and we just, our feelings get hurt. And you say, man, that just hurt my feelings when you said that about my life. And, but if you examine further what the Bible's saying and then what, what Pastor Tim Keller's saying is that um, if your feelings are hurt, it's because your identity and your ego was in that thing. So that's the only way that that can happen. That's the only way that that can actually hurt you is if your ego and your identity are completely wrapped up in whatever it is that you just got criticism for. Paul continues in verse 6. He says, now, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefits, so that you may learn something from the meaning of the saying, nothing beyond what is written. And, and get this, the purpose is that not, not, none of you will be arrogant, favoring one person over another. For who makes you superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? In fact, you did receive it. Why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You have begun to reign as kings without us. And I wish you did reign so that we could also reign with you. Finally, for for I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in the last place, like men condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. And so when we look at the differences between, as Aaron Burr would say, the sinner and the saint. We see, Paul starts to make it a little bit clearer. You see, because, well, by the way, I should say this, because I mentioned sinner and saint. Um, Sinner, really, in this discussion, 
doesn't refer to just somebody who sins, because even after you get saved, you still sin. Am I right? Yes? Yes? Okay. <laughs> Sinner and saved. So, so this is just a kind of a, a way to refer to saved, unsaved, right? And so, um, so, so I just wanted to clarify that before I started throwing the word sinner around, and you thought, oh, well, I, th- I thought we were all sinners. Yes, we are. Um, but when we get saved, some things happen. And I don't know if you realize this, if you are saved, that all of this kind of happened, but it all did. And you may have just been oblivious to it. So, so the first thing that happened when you got saved is that you were justified. And what that means is that everything you've ever done, everything that's been done to you, everything that you, everyone that you have blamed, every time you've sh- shaken your fist at God and said, this is not fair, And everything you will ever do, all of that was put on Jesus. What Jesus did on the cross and his righteousness was then put on you. And then when God looks at you, he doesn't see, he doesn't see all of those things. He doesn't see all of that mess. He sees the righteousness of God. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. And so that all happened right when you got saved. And then you were adopted. You became part of the family of God. You became one of God's children at that point. You were no longer orphaned and trying to make your way in this world completely alone, but he has said, I am with you. So you were justified, you were adopted, you were given a new heart. So so all of a sudden, the the pursuits and the desires that you have would start to shift and start to change, and the things that you were chasing after would start to be a little bit different. You were given a new mission and a new identity. And so um, you were, whether you realize it or not, you were actually given a mission when you were saved. And even right now, you have a mission ahead of you. You have things that God has called you up to. And so, um, for example, um, do, do I want to be appreciated or respected for being up here, delivering a message that God has um, kind of put on my heart or, or kind of work, working through the scriptures and what he did? Absolutely, I do. I do want to be appreciated for that. I do want to be respected for that. The same way that, that, that Pastor John, when he's up here, I, I think he should be appreciated and respected for that. And I think that that kind of maybe makes sense to you, even in the worldly sense, when somebody's up on a stage with a microphone, then we appreciate and respect them. But Here's where it's a little bit different. I, I, I want the same amount of appreciation and respect towards the person who's working with City Kids right now, yeah. towards the person who's in the back running sound, towards the person who, who got the coffee ready. That was my wife. You better respect. This morning. The person who greeted you and the person who's stacking chairs because what, what's different It's just what the calling looks like. But all of those people were given a calling and they just simply said, okay, I'm available, I'm responding. I'm stepping into that. And so it's going to look different, but the calling that God's placed on your heart happened when you became a Christian. And so all of those things kind of happened that separate, yes, those things separate the sinner from the saint, but but I want to spend the rest of our time and the bulk of our time today covering this last piece, that when you became a Christian, and this may be difficult to hear, but you were given a new identity. Your identity changed. 
And I know that that's hard to hear. And why that's hard to hear is because the second that you walk out of these doors or the second that you jump on your phone or the second that you start driving down the street and turn on the radio, everything is going to tell you, by the way, you define your identity. No one else can. You define who you are. You define what your purpose is. You define the things that you love, the things that you don't love, the things that you're going to pursue, the things you aren't going to pursue, the things you're going to avoid, what should happen in your life. You define that and nobody else, especially somebody in a church on a stage would tell you anything different. But God, not me, God has an identity for you. And it's different than what you might think. And so if you're, if you're already offended, then stay with me because I'm going to tell you a whole lot about what that identity looks like and, and, and just hang with me and see if maybe that's something you actually are interested in. So the identity that we're given, um, it's like, so I mentioned this Tim Keller quote from this book. So in this book, Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, he um, he talks about our identity and our ego as if it's like a balloon. And so I, I almost brought a balloon with me to kind of do it a thing, but I, it's too dangerous to put, potentially if it doesn't work, then I'm super embarrassed. And anyway, our identity is like this balloon, right? And so um, let's say our identity is wrapped up in our job. That's a pretty common one. And so um, as I receive good feedback, good evaluation, as my productivity increases, as people start commending me, as I get a promotion, all of a sudden that balloon, it, it inflates and I walk around with a sense of swagger that I've never had before, right? And I just, I just annoy everybody around me because I think that I'm awesome and that this place is lucky to even have me because of what I bring. And then what happens is all of a sudden, things might take a turn and you get negative feedback or your productivity decreases or um, some, some strife might happen between you and your boss or the company itself takes a downturn and all of a sudden the air is let out of that balloon. And all of a sudden I feel worthless and I feel like a loser and I feel like all of a sudden everything I have is lost. And my identity is in that thing. And so I go through what we might even call an identity crisis. Like, I, I don't even know who I am anymore if things aren't going well at work. And, and so then what we do oftentimes is we then, um, we unplug from work and maybe we'll plug into relationships and so the source of the air going in that balloon is now relationships. And, and as long as all my relationships are great, as long as people are telling me I'm a great friend, I'm a great father, I'm a great husband, and so on and so forth, then all of a sudden that balloon's filled up and now I'm super arrogant and people can't stand to be around me. And, and, and I think that I'm awesome because I'm just, I'm just killing life right now. And then there's some relational strife. Um, or, God forbid, a loved one passes away. Or um, somebody, maybe one of your friends moves away. And all of a sudden, I can't have this identity built into these relationships. And by the way, if relationships are where your identity is plugged into, you are putting an unbearable amount of weight on the people in your life. Because they now have to sustain your identity. And so we unplug and we can keep going. We keep plugging in. So what... Let's go, okay, let's do one more. Let's go, let's go with an easy one, finances. 
All I got to do is check the little app on my phone or whatever. And if that number is where I want it to be, then feeling great. And then that number goes down and I start to feel a little less and a little less and a little less. This would happen for me years ago on a month-by-month basis. The beginning of the month, I felt really great. (laughs) And then the end of the month, I was like, man, I feel terrible about myself. Doesn't this roller coaster sound difficult? Doesn't it, does, it, does any part of this sound peaceful? Does any part of this sound like something that you want to just ride this for the rest of your life? So maybe the identity that you're kind of giving yourself or that you're letting go into these things is not always delivering the same goods that you think it does. And so let's look at God's identity. So I'm going to break this into two different pieces. So um, the first one I'm going to tell you about is, is positional identity. I'm going to call it positional identity. And your positional identity is this. You are covered in the blood and immediately justified. So if you are a follower of Jesus, then your position in the heavenly places, your position when it comes to you and God, to how he looks at you, to how much he loves you, to how, how he cares about you, to how he walks with you, to his opinion of you. Think back to, think back to a few weeks ago when I talked about going into, the, going into the light room where God is dancing with you and he is, he is so proud of you, so happy about your existence. You bring joy to his heart. That's your positional identity and that never changes. It never changes. So God says that you are the righteousness of Christ. And within this positional identity comes this little piece that we often kind of struggle with, is that um, sin, perpetual sin, things that you've done, don't get to be a part of that identity. There's no room for sin to be part of your identity. There's no room for you to look back on something you did and say, that's who I am. Because God has already said, you are justified. God has already said, you are the righteousness of Christ. And that that sin, that whatever it is that you did, is not part of who you are. Even when the consequences keep rolling on for years after that, it's not who you are. So that's positional identity. Now, the next one I want to talk about is situational. So there's positional. That never changes. Situational does change. See, if you accept Christ as Savior and Jesus is Lord of your life, then you will be becoming more like Christ, learning to love more like Jesus, learning to live more like Jesus every day. This is your situational identity. This is the sanctified identity. This is, this is who God says you are going to continue to be over time. It's that um, if I am a follower of Christ, then I am not a slave to sin. I'm not a slave to addiction. I may be battling addiction, but I am not a failure because he is still with me. So in situational identity, so we want to be more like Jesus, and our desires get reoriented. Our our pursuit becomes Christ. The Bible doesn't become an antiquated list of rules, but a way to say, man, how has God wired me to live that brings the most amount of glory to him and leads to my ultimate joy? Because didn't Jonathan Edwards say that's the same thing? 
That there's a, there's a path that God's put in front of your life that's going to bring him most glory and you most joy, and it's the same path. But this process, why I call it situational, is because it doesn't happen instantaneously. Is that it's going to be the journey that you're on for the rest of your life. That no matter how much more and more and more you look like Jesus, there's still more to go. And he's never going to stop working. Whether you become a Christian two weeks before you're taken from this earth, whether you become a Christian at age of seven, whether you become a Christian at the age of 50, or become a Christian at the age of 84, he has got work that he's going to continually do in your life over time. He's going to continue to shape and mold you. And we start to see our pursuits change. And, and oftentimes when we pursue the wrong thing, this is where we feel, we don't feel that situational identity. Because once we, once we accept Jesus, once we follow Jesus, then we start walking this path. Sometimes we kind of get knocked off of our course. Sometimes we kind of see something along the path and say, I'm going to start chasing this for a while. And this is what happens in Hamilton. So back to Hamilton, back to the musical. One of the most relatable things about the musical is the characters. If you see Hamilton, you'll see a bunch of different characters who are not perfect. A bunch of characters who have serious flaws and they all kind of wrap around pursuit. So um, you think about one of the more obvious ones is Philip Hamilton. So Hamilton's son who tries to kind of copy his dad's swagger and his bravado and it ultimately ends up leading to his demise. We look at Hamilton himself, and in um, the book God on Hamilton, we see this. It says, yet Hamilton also possessed substantial flaws. At times, he lacked self-restraint, discipline, and displayed a serious lack of judgment. His pride contributed to a falling out with Washington during the Revolutionary War as Hamilton left his staff for a time. He grievously betrayed his wife with an affair and subsequently published the Reynolds pamphlet about it. He alienated most of the founding fathers at one time and another, and his duel with Burr now seems like a logical outcome of his unyielding personality. So um, one of the places that um, I've kind of, in reading about Hamilton and reading about this musical and, and how it was structured, um, there's a piece of the musical where, where they kind of get in a bind and they say, okay, um, how are we going to move forward with the war? Well, we need Hamilton. Hamilton, troops are waiting in the field for you. Come on back. And he says, yeah, and they go, and, that, and that's the big, huge climax of the Revolutionary War. But actually in history, if we look through um, Hamilton's relationship with his superiors and with Washington. Um, and we see a little bit of this in the musical is that actually how that happened is that Hamilton pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed and said, get me back out there. Let me back out there. I can make changes. I can do it. Let me in. He is unyielding in his pursuit of fame and glory. And this ultimately leads to his demise. Angelica Schuyler in the musical, um, we see that she, um, 
she, she meets Hamilton, and she um, instantly is infatuated with him, thinks he's great, thinks he would ma- be great marriage material, but because of her position and her, her pursuit of, of status in who she marries, she can't, she said, I can't, I can't get together with Hamilton, so I'm going to introduce him to my sister, and then that causes this strife between those two. This kind of tension between those two, and it's because her pursuit ultimately becomes influence. And finally, I I mentioned Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr just wants to be where? In the room where it happens. He wants to be in the place where all the action is, being part of things. He, he's constantly chasing around these different influencers, trying to be liked and accepted. And how much of us always do crazy things with the hopes of being liked or accepted? And it ultimately leads to our demise. See, we, we start walking this path and we see the potential of, of, of being well-liked. And that kind of brings us a little off course and we have to come back. And then we see the potential of being really wealthy and that kind of brings us off course and then we try to come back. And, and God's on this journey with us, but we just get so pushed off track that it's hard to correct course. Because we forget about our identity. We forget about what God says about us. We forget that even though these things, they, they seem attractive in the moment that God has something so much better for us ahead. I mean, I feel this all the time. Even in, you know, I, I was even talking about it this morning. Um, I was like, um, some churches I've been to, and I won't say which ones, but some of the churches I've been to way in the past, especially when I was very early on in my faith, um, when the lead pastor um, took a break and, said, and let the, the next guy up come in, it was kind of like, cool, <laughs> here we go. It's going to be a snoozer. Well, maybe he'll come back soon. And that's how I, and, and that thought kind of creeped in my mind. Okay, so, so, so John takes a moment down and, I, and I'm next up and I wonder, man, how are people thinking about this? Are they coming in like, oh, it's this guy again. <laughs> and if I read my own message, if I read what Paul has to say, if I read what's in God's word, it says, listen, even if that was what people thought, it doesn't matter. Even if I think that I struggle up here doesn't matter. Because God put something in front of me, and I just have to be obedient to it. And God's going to do what he's going to do. So what, what that leads me to believe is that without Christ, our best intentions, our best intentions to live a Christian life without Christ are really to exalt ourselves. See, the glory of God, this is, um, Pastor James McDonald described the glory of God like this in his book, Vertical Church. I think it was an excellent way to talk about the glory of God. It's like if you're out in the wilderness, and I mentioned the book because I'm never out in the wilderness, so not my thing. But if you happen to be out in the wilderness, or maybe even right now you're out in like in the sea of the snow, and you see animal tracks, and you're like, oh, those are the tracks of a deer. A deer was here and now has gone that way. Or those are the tracks of some of a squirrel, and a squirrel ran off that way. Glory to God is like that. It's like the footprints. It's like when, when, when I see this thing happened, who did it? Did I do it or did God do it? 
When there was a message, for example, if there was a message here at City of Lights that really impacted your life, would you say that I did it? Would you say that Pastor John did it? No, we'd say God did it. That's glory. The glory, the, the, the who did this goes to God. The whose footprints are those all over your life? God. And so instead of elevating ourselves, our pursuit becomes Christ. Christ turns out to be the only thing that separates the sinners and the saints. Because if you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, maybe you'll be more generous. The Bible calls you to, but maybe you won't. Or maybe you will, but somebody will outdo you. Or, or maybe you'll be more loving. The Bible calls you to, but maybe somebody will outdo you. Maybe you'll, you'll, you'll sin in this way less, but sin in this way a little bit more, and, and, and you'll struggle with these sins for a long time. Just like somebody who maybe even doesn't follow Jesus. But the difference is that Christ is with you. Is that his power is with you to push you through those things. Is that even if you sin, even when you sin because you will, you are not a slave to that. That no longer becomes your identity. What he says about you becomes your identity. And that is all through scripture. And so maybe you haven't heard a lot about what God says about you. Maybe you walked in here today in a week where you felt, I'm just not, I don't have it together this week. Where your identity has been broke. Your identity has been a loser. Your identity has been a liar. Your identity has been wrapped up in these sexual desires that you can't seem to walk away from. But I'm telling you this morning, God has a new identity for you. He has a different identity for you. And so I'm going to give you just a few, just a few of the things that God says about you this morning, directly from Scripture. I have references. God says that you are his adopted son or daughter, that you are approved, you are accepted, you are reconciled, you are the apple of his eye. You are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You are chosen, called, destined, and sealed. You are his workmanship, a new creation, more than a conqueror. You are an overcomer, free. You have power, love, and a sound mind that comes from God Almighty. You're a friend of God. You're a friend of God. You're his beloved. You are blessed, anointed, made in his image, a temple redeemed, a royal priest. You are a holy nation. You are his disciple, his body, and a son or a daughter of the great I am. That's who you are this morning. Regardless of the week that you've had, 
regardless of the things that you walked in here with, regardless of what lies ahead of you, regardless if you are dreading Monday or looking forward to it. That's who you are. The Bible says all of those things about you and nowhere did it say loser, broke, addicted, slave, struggler. Now, if you let God give you a new identity, give you a new heart with all of those things, how's that sound? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for calling us to this, God. Thank you for giving us this new identity. Thank you for giving us this new heart. And God, in those moments where we, we tend to stray off path, in those moments where we see things and we, and we start to chase after them, even though that's not what you've called us to, God, we, we rest in the positional identity of being redeemed and justified, and we trust you that we are no longer slaves to anything, God. God, I pray that you would give us the desire to pursue the things that you have said. Bring most glory to you, most joy to us. And God, I pray that as we walk out of here, that we would find comfort, that we would find peace, and we would find rest in the middle of a culture that leads us to a constant identity crisis. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.